0: Welcome to the Modern Psychedelics Podcast. Thank you so much for being here and choosing to spend some time with me today. I'm your host, Lana. This is the place where we explore how modern humans can work with psychedelics and plant medicine to engage more deeply with life. You can expect balanced and grounded conversations around therapeutic, spiritual, and recreational containers. All right, let's journey. Oh, shrooms. The one medicine I can always count on. Whether I'm really going through it or just need to get re-centered, rebalanced, microdosing mushrooms is a practice I go back to again and again. One of the mushroom companies I can trust is MindMend. All MindMend products are grown right here in Canada, ensuring locally sourced quality and reliability. My friends at MindMend really care about producing quality shrooms. They focus on small batch quality production to maintain control over the quality and consistency. Each product is precisely dough, so you're going to get that predictable and consistent experience every time. I've been a little down lately after coming back from Costa Rica. So I have been reaching for the mood shroom capsules, which are designed to brighten the mind. It's been helping me get through those days where I feel kind of just flat and the calm shroom capsules have also been supportive for me because they're boosted with reishi and ashwagandha which we love and on work days like today I'm definitely going for the nootropic formulations like the focus or the smart shrooms they also have macro dose gummies which I have packed for a music festival that I can't wait to share with my friends consensually of course I'm so grateful for the range of products that Mind Mend offers from microdosing capsules for beginners to shroom gummies and other products for those seeking a moderate or deeper experience. They've really created a product line that meets different needs and levels of experience with shrooms, so I know you're all going to find the right product for you and absolutely love it. Don't just take my word for it. Check out their website. You can read testimonials from real Canadians who have already experienced the benefits of Mind Mend's products in dealing with various life challenges you might just see yourself in some of these testimonials so visit mindmend that's m i n d m e n d.com or click the link in the show notes they were kind enough to provide a discount code for you guys that will save you 15% off your first order so use lana l a n a at checkout to save 15% off your first order at mindmend.com all right Enjoy, and just a disclaimer, you must be 19 years or older to order. This podcast does not endorse the illegal consumption of any substances, so please check your local jurisdictions. Things are changing really quickly in the psychedelic space. MindMend also encourages people to consult a healthcare practitioner professional if on tramadol, lithium, or if you have a family history of mental health conditions such as schizophrenia or bipolar. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. If you're new here, welcome. I feel like this episode is going to reach some new people because the guest is is all over the news right now with her new book but more on that later if you're new here welcome i'm so so happy to have you here i think you'll find that this is a little bit of a different episode that or this is a little bit of a different podcast that explores topics around psychedelics. I started this about three years ago, mostly to document my own journey and my growing love and discovery of the world of psychedelics, and it's just evolved into something that's been so valuable for so many of you. So welcome. Uh, There's 64 other episodes for you to go back to and listen to on a variety of different medicines and topics, so go enjoy that. I hope that you're enjoying your summer. I'm definitely having a lot of fun. I refuse to accept that we're nearing the end of summer. I tend to, yeah, kind of put aside serious medicine work and just have fun and enjoy summer and you know enter more recreational spaces during this time. So that's what's been going on with me. We have so many amazing episodes planned and in production for you guys. By the way, have you checked out the YouTube channel because you can now watch these episodes in video, which I know some people prefer and it's fun. So we're really working on building up video production and making it an enjoyable experience for you. So check out the YouTube channel, give us a follow. And I'm so excited for you to meet today's guest. You may have already heard of her. Her name is Jennifer Cheswick, and she is a award winning freelance science and medical journalist, editor and fact checker. She's based in Nashville, Tennessee. So Jennifer earned her master of science degree in journalism from Northwestern University, and her work has appeared in The Washington Post, Healthline, Better Homes and Gardens, The Daily Beast, and more. So her most recent book is what brought her here today, The Psilocybin Handbook for Women, How Magic Mushrooms, Psychedelic Therapy, and Microdosing Can Benefit Your Mental, Physical, and Spiritual Health. Her mission as a journalist for this book in particular really stemmed from being a woman who kind of got fed up with being left behind by the medical system. In this episode, she does share a little bit of the life events that she experienced that led her to psilocybin And to writing this book. Jennifer actually interviewed me for the set and setting chapter of this book. So you can actually find me in the book. This was such a cool opportunity. And I was so honored that she, you know, saw me as an expert in set and setting enough to include me in her amazing book. I wanted to bring her on the show to share everything she's learned while writing this book. The book is incredible. I read it through once. I couldn't put it down. I've definitely learned some new things, but it's also created in this way where it's like, it is a handbook, so you can go back and refer to it at any time, and it's written with just, I mean, you can tell that she's a fact checker because there's just so many facts, there's so much information in here, and she has a really great knack for conveying some scientific information for the average person she has a wealth of information to share with us from how to microdose and tripset to understanding the latest psychedelic research and even incorporating indigenous wisdom the psilocybin handbook for women is a resource for everyone although it features specific information to those assigned female at birth because psychedelics may have different effects and applications across the sexes And the things that we talked about in this episode are, well, why do we need a book on psilocybin for women in the first place? Some health conditions women tend to self-treat with psilocybin, ways that psilocybin affects women differently than men and how psychedelics affect the menstrual cycle. Um, We talk about this idea of two-eye-seeing, how we can bridge science with indigenous wisdom going forward psilocybin for people who are breastfeeding or pregnant, how parents are managing working psychedelics. Parents, you're going to love this episode. And we also touch on the dark side, sexual abuse, safety and consent in the psychedelic space. So stay tuned until the end of the episode because we do announce a giveaway for a copy of this book. So make sure you enter. It's really simple. And Either way, I hope you enjoy this episode. Maybe go grab a copy of her book and maybe gift it to a woman or a man in your life who wants this type of information. So enjoy the episode and I'll see you guys on the other side. Are you interested in microdosing? Well, I have an invitation for you. I'm hosting a free workshop with my flow formula co-captain, Jenny. Join us on September 6th for microdosing psychedelics, the energy of flow versus force. I'm so passionate about this topic. We've all experienced the energy of flow at some point, and we know that it helps us tap into creativity, fulfillment, joy, which leads to Desirable results and just a better life. But why is it so difficult to integrate the energy of flow into our day-to-day life? Most of the time, our default tendency is to get things done by using the destructive energy of force. While force may get things done, it's not sustainable or fulfilling in the wrong run. There are a few hallmarks of the energy of flow that we're going to discuss during this workshop and talk about how it applies to the practice of microdosing. We're going to be exploring how you can connect with the energy of flow and drop the energy of force so that you can move forward in your desired direction, whatever that is. We'll also be discussing how to treat microdosing as an integrated practice in your life both Jenny and I are experienced and passionate about this topic. Save your seat by clicking the link in the show notes, and we can't wait to see you there and connect with you face-to-face. The last time we ran this, we had so much fun connecting with people in our communities. We'll also be doing a special live giveaway for all live attendees, so we can't wait to see you there. We will be providing a recording after, but attending it live is really going to be where all the magic is. So sign up again using the link in the show notes and we'll see you there. I am here with the wonderful Jennifer Chesick. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's funny because I did a poll a while ago on Instagram and I was like, what substance do you guys want me to talk about more? Because I talk so much about iboga and ayahuasca. And like half of the people who voted said mushrooms. So I think this episode is going to be much loved and people are waiting for an episode like this. So I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Yay, me too.
0: Yeah, Yeah, so to start, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell people how you got interested in the world of psychedelics?
1: Absolutely. So I'm Jennifer Chesick and I'm a medical journalist and a fact checker. And I wrote the Psilocybin Handbook for Women. And it just seemed I had started writing about some about psychedelics for various publications as a freelance journalist, and I'm frequently writing about women's health, which is a huge passion of mine in terms of my journalism work. And it just seemed like a natural fit to bridge the two psychedelics and women's health, especially since we really just need accurate information out there regarding the female body, because often the mainstream medical system leaves us, leaves women behind. So really wanted to focus on just the female body. Obviously, I'm not trying to be like, I'm not trying to exclude anyone. But again, we have very specific contexts in terms of using psilocybin as women.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I think something like this was much needed. And you were really inclusive in your writing to include non-binary individuals as well. So I know you're definitely not trying to exclude anyone. And your book was so well researched. It was so well researched. I can see now that you are truly a fact checker. Every line (laughs) just had so much, so many facts in each sentence. Can you tell us what, I think you touched on it a little bit, but just getting deeper into this idea of like, why a psilocybin specific book for women specifically?
1: Absolutely. It was interesting when I started digging into the research, I learned that more women report using some psychedelics than what men are using. That sort of surprised me. But then when I dug a little deeper, the surprise went away. And the reason for that is because it seems like more women are turning to psychedelics to self-treat. So for things like PTSD, trauma, anxiety, depression, and then anything related to chronic pain. So women are turning to psychedelics to self-treat. Whereas a lot of times men are using using psychedelics in a much more recreational aspect. Now, that's not true for everyone. It's just what came up in this very specific global drug survey that I looked at. And I guess the thing that doesn't surprise me is that women are turning to psychedelics to self-treat. And the reason that does not surprise me is because the mainstream medical system often leaves women behind. They were largely excluded from early stage clinical trials until about the 1990s. And I was a teenager then, which just this blows my mind that women were not included in clinical trials. And if we want to dig a little deeper into what are the ramifications of that, the timeline and the statistic and the fact that I like to throw out is this, so to put it into context. So men had a drug for male sexual dysfunction in 1998, and we're all familiar with what that is. That's Viagra. That's when the FDA approved Viagra, 1998. At that point in time, the mainstream medical system or just really everyone in general didn't even have a full complete picture of what the clitoris looks like because there's lots of internal structure to the clitoris. That didn't happen until 2005 when a urologist, did some MRI work on study and learned the internal structure. So in 2005, we finally find the clitoris, right? And then if you think about that a little further, when did women finally get a drug for female sexual dysfunction? That didn't happen until 2015. So 1998, Viagra. 2005, we learn about the clitoris. 2015, women finally get a drug for female sexual dysfunction. And just to put that in even more context, the the statistic on, or the prevalence of female sexual dysfunction in people of reproductive age would be 40%. That goes up to 85% for people who've reached menopause. This is something that dramatically affects women, but yet the mainstream medical system has completely left us out of the picture until 2015. That's insane to me. So it makes sense that women are turning to psychedelics to self-treat, and I felt like we really just need accurate information out there regarding safety, logistics, which you very much helped me with for your beautiful interview for the book, and, and then just contexts that are very specific to the female body. So, yeah,
0: yeah, that's a nutshell. That's wild. Yeah. Wow. What did you find out about what kind of conditions women tend to self-treat with psychedelics and psilocybin form?
1: Absolutely. It's, it's depression, PTSD, and then chronic pain conditions. I'm hearing a lot from people who have premenstrual dysphoric disorders. So they're turning to psychedelics, especially magic mushrooms, to microdose. And, and then we can talk about that later in terms of the how it affects the cycle. But yeah, so a lot of things like that, that affect women differently. So for example, I in chapter 11 what I did as part of my research was I dug into any condition that either only affects the female body dis, or affects the female body disproportionately or affects us differently. And so one example of differently would be with smoking cessation women actually have different nicotine receptors than men. And so when they're trying to quit smoking, it's different. Yet all of the cessation products out there have to do with the nicotine receptor. And so psilocybin is now being studied for smoking cessation and it seems promising, especially for women, because they have a more difficult time quitting because of this difference in the nicotine receptors. So what I did was, again, I took all of those conditions and then I tried to see, is there a study out there where we're seeing that psilocybin is being studied for this type of condition, or maybe there's an overlap. An example would be, so menopause isn't a condition, it's just life, but a symptom of menopause would be depression. And so can psilocybin treat depression? We were certainly seeing promising results with that. So I did that in chapter 11. It felt like this chapter that would never end, like the writing of it, because there was so much to dig into. But I'm really glad I did because I really compiled all that research that we have so far.
0: That's fascinating about the nicotine receptors. I had no idea. And that does make sense why women have a harder time quitting. I actually quit smoking cigarettes. And I share this pot in a Previous podcast episode on an lsd trip <laughs> yeah yeah and it worked yeah that doesn't surprise me that psychedelics are being studied for that as well what other ways does psilocybin affect women differently than men
1: Yeah. So I'm hoping the researchers continue to study this because we're just getting the tip of the iceberg right now. What we're learning is that estrogen. So the main female hormone, of course, men have estrogen too, but that hormone can affect the binding, the serotonin receptor binding a little bit. So when you're doing a psilocybin journey, there may be an impact there. And so it may matter where in your cycle that you use psilocybin. And of course, there's context for Potentially helping with menstrual irregularities, and we can talk more about that. But in a nutshell, it just really seems so there's been some surveys out there where women tend to have, can tend to lean towards having. I shouldn't say they tend to lean towards having worse trips, but it's more prevalent in women to have a bad trip. Now, that's not to say that we can't set ourselves up for the best trip possible. We absolutely can. So it's not guaranteeing that you're going to have a difficult trip. It's just it seems like women are more susceptible. And they, they, the researchers think this has to do with the binding of the female hormone. So again, it may matter in your cycle when you take psilocybin.
0: So interesting. And what about the entourage effect? Can you talk a little bit about that that you spoke about in the book? And obviously, there's so so much more details about everything you're talking about in your book, but I think this is going to give people a good overview and they can read of more course. about it.
1: Of yeah. course. Yeah. It seems like, again, that our hormones that are related to the menstrual cycle may actually have this entourage effect. And I think people are more familiar with the entourage effect in terms of talking about cannabis. So if we look at the different cannabinoids in cannabis, we there's so many, but let's just talk about two, like THC and CBD. Those two cannabinoids seem to work really well together and to produce beneficial effects. And so that is what I mean by an entourage effect. And it seems like the female hormones, whether that's estrogen or progesterone, may have this same entourage effect. Maybe there's a beneficial effect when we're at a certain stage in our cycles and maybe there's a less beneficial effect. There could be the opposite of the entourage effect as well. So researchers have been studying how does how do psychedelics in general affect the menstrual cycle? And what they did, there's two researchers out of Johns Hopkins, Her, one is Dr. Natalie Cassian and another one is Dr. Sasha K. Narine, and they're fabulous, they're studying all of these things related to the female body and psychedelics, but they did some case studies and th- there were three women. I think two of them took psilocybin, whereas another one used a different psychedelic. So I focused in the book mostly on the two women that took, the, took psilocybin. And I think one had premenstrual dysphoric disorder and the other had polycystic ovarian syndrome, so PMD and PCOS. And what they found was their cycles came a little early after using psilocybin, and their periods became more regular after a time of where they were experiencing a lot of irregularities. so there seems like there's some potential there for psilocybin to regulate the menstrual cycle, and we're, and those researchers are digging a little deeper and going further. This was just some preliminary research, but if you're wondering about the mechanism there, because I think a lot of people are like, how does that even work? The menstrual cycle occurs along what's called the hypothalamic-pituitary-gonadal axis, so the HPG axis, where we've got the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, and the the ovaries working in concert and a feedback loop. So when during your cycle, when one hormone kicks off, it tells another hormone that it's time to be released and all of that just in a layman's terms nutshell there. So you've got that axis. And then we also have our stress response axis. And so that is called the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So you've got the HPG for the menstrual cycle, the HPA for this stress response. And of course, these two, stress, these two axes overlap via the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland. And so we already know that stress can lead to complications with our menstrual cycle and the menstrual cycle can impact our stress response. We can get stressed out during or leading up to our periods or during them. And so we know there's overlap there. And researchers are thinking that is also happening when we're doing psilocybin journeys. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that reminds me when I interviewed Dr. Jim Fadiman, who I'm sure you know all about. He was on the podcast a couple months ago. And the way he described what I think you're saying, because I'm opposite of you i'm like not scientifically (laughs) inclined at all what the way he described it was like psilocybin microdosing psilocybin tends to write systems like systems that are not operating optimally microdosing psilocybin tends to just write systems and improve the body's capacity for self-healing and just hearing you speak about the hormonal systems I used to be super irregular with my cycle. And now that I'm thinking about it, after I started microdosing mushrooms, I'm like pretty regular now. So I wonder if, yeah, that just helped balance things out. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I want to talk about microdosing a little bit. What about, let's dive a little bit into the menstrual cycle Mm -hmm. and what psilocybin might be able to offer women for that What have you learned about psilocybin and the menstrual cycle and people who are dealing with things like PCOS or painful cycles?
1: Yeah. So it seems, again, we have this potential to regulate the menstrual cycle, which y- you've just provided an anecdotal report. And other people have too. Like you, if you start digging around online, you're going to see people talking about this regulation in on Reddit and things like that. And it's not like I'm saying, hey, turn to the internet for your health. Practice.
0: Oh, but Dr. <laughs> Jim Fadiman is all about that citizen <laughs> science.
1: Yeah, He so loves Reddit. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And I think we have to <laughs> as women sometimes yeah. to turn to the internet totally. for advice because sometimes we're not getting it at our doctors offices because yeah. we get gaslit there. But but yeah, so what I learned is so I talked to a woman who does womb care and her name is Mama De La Mico on Instagram. Her it's Michaela De, De La Mico is her real name, but she goes by Mama De La Mico on Instagram. And she does womb care with from an indigenous w- wisdom perspective, which I love. And she said, in terms of microdosing, because I interviewed her, she talked about if you are planning to microdose to see how psilocybin affects your cycle, which it's some it's going to have to just be a little bit of trial and error for people. But to do whatever protocol you choose, there's so many different microdosing protocols out there. But if whatever one you choose, do it for three cycles. It's like she t- she described it, and I loved this, plant the seed now and three months later you'll get that the results from that. And so give it three months, do some journaling in terms of tracking how you feel over the course of your cycle. And then three months later you can decide, oh, is this, is this working or do I need to shift something and try a different protocol? So that felt like really good advice. The other thing that she said is if we are doing a deeper journey with psilocybin so you're actually going to have the trip experience to do that at your ovulation or closer to your ovulation time rather than when you are getting closer to your bleed and the reason that she just said that was that as we get closer to that bleed time and this totally makes sense from a scientific perspective our bodies need more energy and when we often are doing a psilocybin journey we may fast in the hours leading up to our journey maybe even in the days leading up to the journey and that can be very difficult during that luteal phase of your menstrual cycle, simply because all the energy the body has is being shifted towards the womb. And so we would have cravings and things like that. Whereas during ovulation, we have a little bit more energy in our bodies and our systems are working better for potentially fasting. That made really great sense. So ovulation time rather than closer to your menstrual period because of the way that our bodies deal with energy.
0: Yeah. And I think this is where like the science and the indigenous wisdom connect or one of the places where they connect. Because if you go to a traditional healer for different medicines like ayahuasca, I know for sure, they actually some don't let you sit in ceremony when you are menstruating. So it's really interesting to see, like, scientifically why that might be the reason. And in the Indigenous wisdoms, they also have their reasons. I think this is a great place to segue into your chapter on the Indigenous wisdom and its role here. Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. I think it's really important that we include indigenous wisdom or consider indigenous wisdom as we are looking at these plant medicines, et cetera, and psychedelics in general, because clearly indigenous people have been using psilocybin for many generations. But I think it's even hard to track how far back that goes. But something that came up in my interviews with people, I was interviewing, a, her name is Natalie Villanova, and I think she's a clinical social worker, or therapist, et cetera. And she brought to my attention this concept called called Two-Eyed Seeing, and so what that is, it was introduced by a Mi'kmaq elder, his name is Albert Marshall, and he's from the es- Eskasoni First Nation, and he brought this idea to the mainstream science systems that we really need to be doing this two-eyed seeing, where we're bridging science with indigenous wisdom, and this Natalie Villanova, she talked to me about how indigenous people... when we think about science, we think about doing something over and over again to produce these same results, right? Mm -hmm. So that's traditional science. And indigenous wisdom has been doing that for generations and generations. They have been doing things over and over to produce the same results and Mm -hmm. have developed these practices. And so as you're talking about going to ceremonies in perhaps other countries or just different locations where you are working with someone who's indigenous, it's very important to consider what they're telling you and lean into those practices because it is science. And so again, this two-eyed scene concept, as we go forward with the psychedelic renaissance right now, we do need to use both mainstream science and this indigenous wisdom and blend the two because that's going to be the thing that benefits the most people
0: absolutely and for people who are listening and not watching she just did air quotes around the psychedelic renaissance and i know (laughs) my listeners and i know i don't have to explain to them why we are air quoting the psychedelic renaissance because it's not (laughs) yeah absolutely i don't know are you familiar with iboga as a medicine at all
1: I'm not as familiar with that, but feel free to dive into that if you would like. Yeah,
0: so some say that it's even more ancient than ayahuasca. Like, it comes from Africa, like the birthplace of all civilization. And they've been using iboga for so long. It's as maybe ancient as humanity. And they treat it like a science. Iboga and Bwiti are the study of life. And it's very much, it's like a science. They have their own laws that they have come to understand through working with this medicine in this way for many generations. So I absolutely agree that indigenous wisdom is its own science. And I actually think it's much more advanced than Western science, (laughs) personally. So I love that you included that in your book. What are your thoughts as a scientific journalist, because you are now swimming in both of these worlds, how do you think we can really weave together Western science and indigenous wisdom or indigenous ways? And of course, I want to be very mindful of how I'm asking you this question as you are not Indigenous and can't speak on behalf of them, but what are your thoughts around how we can weave that together in a way that does honour where these medicines actually came from?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's so important that we do, as we move forward, to bridge the two in different ways. And so something that I'm thinking about with that would be, obviously, there's all these clinical trials going on with psilocybin. And I think that researchers can bring in the ancient practices for not only just ceremony, but thinking about how the applications of psilocybin in indigenous cultures, how can we apply that in more of a clinical setting? I'm not saying we should move into clinical settings. I'm just saying we know that's going on. And so if that's going on, how can we bring that in more to really make it a sacred usage? And then I love that people are Going to retreats and engaging in ceremony with people who have practiced this, I think that is really important. No matter where you are, how you're using psilocybin, you can bring in those cultural practices to a certain extent. Again, I don't want cultural appropriation going on. It's just more even just how we think of, of yoga or something. When you go to a yoga studio, there are certainly studios out there that just treat it like a gym, but there are many out there that are bringing in that beautiful sense of meditation and the breath work that is rooted in the culture of being a yogi. And so I think we need to just be doing the same thing with psilocybin as we move forward in that scientific realm, but also as people are exploring on their own. So here's my
0: not-so-secret secret. secret. (laughs) The number one tool in my toolkit, the thing that has changed my life for the better the most, aside from psychedelics, of course, is not therapy, it's not breathwork, it's not meditation, it's not even the yoga I've been doing for 15 years, it's coaching. Because coaching is the most actionable tool that I have come across. A few years ago, I fired my therapist and hired a coach and working with a coach helped me start moving in the direction I wanted to move. And I finally stopped feeling stuck. I fell so in love with coaching, even though I wanted to become a therapist at that time, I decided instead to get trained and certified as a professional coach. As a psychedelics-informed life coach, I work with people who are on the psychedelic path, which is probably you if you're listening to this podcast. The Global Coaching Client Study from the International Coaching Federation shows most clients who work with a professional coach report improved work performance, more growth and opportunities, greater self-confidence, enhanced relationships – more effective communication skills, better work and life balance, and an improvement in wellness. According to the same study, 99% of people who were polled said that they were somewhat or very satisfied with the overall coaching experience. Coaching works. (laughs) I see similar results amongst my clients every week. You can actually read their beautiful in-depth testimonials on my website at modernpsychedelics.net. Along with being psychedelics informed, my style is process oriented. We live in this outcome obsessed world where our default mode is to live life for the destination or the end result. But I have come to understand that the gifts are actually in the journey and that's where we grow and learn and enjoy life the most. So that's why I equip my clients with tools and skills for the long game of life and the long game of medicine work. I'm currently onboarding new one-on-one clients into my coaching practice. So if this sounds like it would be supportive for where you're at, get in touch with me. I would love to hear from you. And you can click on the link in the show notes or head to modernpsychedelics.net slash coaching. There's lots of info there for you along with those testimonials. I can't wait to connect with you. That's modernpsychedelics.net slash coaching. Okay, let's go back to the episode. Let's go back to women's health for a little bit people who are pregnant or breastfeeding such a huge topic <laughs> that I never know how to answer for people. Yeah. What did you learn?
1: And it's fun. I'm glad you asked this because when I started, when I first thought about the book and was structuring it, I'm thinking, I and mean, I guess people who are pregnant can't use, or people who are pregnant can't, or, or breastfeeding can't, but that's ridiculous. So there's, It's so much more nuanced than that. And so as I started to dig into this a little bit more, I realized I really needed this whole parenting chapter. And so that's where I included the content about pregnancy or breastfeeding. And I had the privilege of talking to this wonderful anthropologist, her name is Hillary Agro, and she lives in Canada. She has been studying drug use essentially, and obviously psychedelics is something that she focuses on. What she determined is that there is no evidence of harm to the fetus in pregnancy while using psilocybin. And she's leaning on this indigenous wisdom, of course, in terms of looking back generations and generations, no evidence of harm. Now, again, we in, in Western science, we don't have evidence that it's not harmful either because we just don't do studies on pregnant people for obvious reasons. But I think the thing that really is important to consider is that the health of the pregnant person is extremely important. So if you have somebody who is struggling with their mental health, it is beneficial to treat a mental health issue in some way while that person is pregnant. And there are various ways of treating mental health conditions, but if someone really feels the need to use psilocybin while pregnant, there are plenty of people out there who. Th- who consider that to be completely acceptable? So, for example, Mama De La Maica, I'm going to go back to her because I did interview her about this, and she talked about her own pregnancy and how she, at that time, was struggling as an alcoholic, and she self describes as that, and or did. And psilocybin was a way for her to change her relationship with alcohol while pregnant. And obviously, there's tons of research out there about the harms of alcohol on a fetus. And so you know, she used psilocybin. I don't know how often or what in what context, but while pregnant. And things are fine. Again, I don't want to be reductive about that. That is a decision for each individual and perhaps their doctor or midwife, the people around them that are supporting that pregnancy and that person. So very important. And then in terms of breastfeeding, I did talk to a lactation consultant and she felt the same way. The health of the person who is breast or chest feeding, that health is super important. And then there are ways, there are logistics that you can follow if you still feel like, oh, hey, I don't want that in my breast milk, you can pump and dump. We have good research on what is the half-life of psilocybin. It's three hours. So that's when the the medication, the plant medicine would be eliminated by half in your body. So obviously it would depend on, are you microdosing or are you doing a deeper journey as to when you would return to breastfeeding or your pump and dump, stra- your pump and dump strategies. And of course, it depends on the age of a child because a newborn is going to feed much more often than someone who's closer to one or However long someone is breastfeeding, an older child is going to feed less via breast than than a newborn. So it just really depends on all of those things, and I included very in-depth information about that. But again, just going back to this idea that, yeah, it is a very nuanced topic because we do have to really consider the health of the pregnant person or the breast person who is breastfeeding or chestfeeding. And someone who is breastfeeding or chestfeeding could have extreme postpartum depression or something like that where psilocybin would be beneficial.
0: That's really helpful for people listening, I'm sure. And on the topic of the parenting realm, what about psychedelics for parenting, which I actually really want to bring someone on the show to talk about this topic specifically. But can you give us a little to- teaser?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I hope you're planning to talk to Tracy T at Moms on Mushrooms. She's amazing. Okay, I
0: was going to ask for your recommendation of who I should have on because you've talked to so many people. Okay. I'll reach out. To yeah,
1: her. I mentioned her in the book, but I also just met her in person at Psychedelic Science, and she's just she's so well versed in this topic. So okay, for anyone perfect. who doesn't know, Moms on Mushrooms is this essentially network of moms who are deciding, hey, yeah, we're using psilocybin and we're going to talk openly about it. But what wow, a blurb! That is gutsy! Wow! I know. Yeah, Go I love moms it. Moms on Mushrooms. <laughs> moms on Mushrooms. It's M O M. I love it. Right. But yeah. I, what I learned was that, so parents are using psilocybin and to boost their parenting game and one, simple explanation of that would be it helps us engage. And I'm not a mom myself, but I'll use the word it helps us, but it helps us engage with our children a little bit better because when we're on psilocybin, our minds become more flexible. And we can talk about that later, but you get into that more imaginative or awestruck state like a child. And so you can engage and play a little bit better. And it might be that you've done a trip you've got you've gone and done your trip separately from your kids and then you come back and then you're still in that really cool state of the awe and wonder of being a child. So people are using it and engaging with their children in different ways, which I think is great, being more present rather than sitting there and scrolling on your phone while your kid's playing Legos, getting down on the floor with them and that sort of thing. Again, I'm not a parent. But the other thing that I really wanna talk about in relation to parenting is this idea of trauma. So many parents have had lots of trauma in their lives. So there's something called adverse childhood experience and that's ACEs is the acronym. And that's anything from maybe your parents got divorced. Maybe you had a parent who was incarcerated. Maybe there was abuse or other types of violence in the home. And these are all traumatic experiences. Maybe you lived through a tornado as a child. These are all adverse childhood experiences that can happen. And they can have a big effect on the health of an adult parent, of course. And But the thing that is in the research right now is that one in six adults has actually experienced four or more ACEs in their childhood. And people who've experienced four or more ACEs, their children are more likely to also experience four or more adverse childhood experiences. So I think there's some huge potential here that if we are dealing with some trauma as adults that occurred earlier in life, or maybe it just occurred recently, we have a responsibility to try to heal or work on those ACEs. They're always going to be there, but what can we do to stop the cycle of trauma being passed down generation to generation? And so I really think psilocybin and other psychedelics have this great potential to interrupt that cycle and really help us lessen trauma for next generations.
0: So you talked to a lot of parents in writing this book. What did you learn about how they even just like manage juggling doing work like that and like attending to their trauma so that they don't pass it on to their children while parenting?
1: Yeah, so th- this was something I was super curious about. Our moms using mushrooms in front of their kids. And I have no judgment on that. I think that's totally fine. And it runs the gamut with the person that I talked to. Her name is Rebecca Crom. She's also a social worker and she's an organization that I list in the book, but I can't think of it off the top of my head, where again, it's a network of parents just openly talking about their usage. So I asked her about that. Like, are there unwritten rules in this group about when you use psilocybin or using it in front of your kids? And it ran the gamut. Some people choose, Hey, I'm doing this journey for myself. I'm going to go off somewhere while the kids are at grandma's or whatever it might be and really focus on myself instead of doing it in the home where I maybe not going to feel safe or I'm not going to feel like I can just focus on this, which is I totally get. And that's great. Of course, not everyone has that privilege of being able to run off and do something. Not everyone has access to adequate childcare, especially in the USA. So then some people are going ahead and they're using psilocybin around their children, of course, and maybe having someone, a trusted friend, come over just to kind of keep an eye on both people, like as a trip sitter and a babysitter. And I think that's a great method as well if you have someone that you can really trust. Of course, the main thing that everyone said was, if you're solely responsible for the care of a young child and they're not independent enough to care for themselves, they're 12 or something, so they're really young, then yeah, you shouldn't be so inebriated that you can't care for your child or that puts them in any harm's way. But, But yeah, if they're 13 and can read a book, then it's probably, it's up to you as a parent. And the other thing that a lot of parents were talking about is just this idea of talking to their kids about drugs. Again, I say the word drug and I don't mean it like, it's just, it's a, it's, I'm not saying it as, these are illicit drugs and blah, blah, blah. But if we openly talk about illicit substances as they are considered illicit right now, again, using the air quotes, then we set our children up for better success, I think, regarding all of that. So I grew up in in the D.A.R.E. era and the war on drugs and all of that in the U.S. And I think that has presented an incredible amount of harm and stigma on substance use, whether that's cannabis or psychedelics. And if we openly are talking about these things with our children, they feel comfortable coming to us to then discuss when they are considering experimenting. Again, I'm not a parent, but if I were, I would certainly rather have my children feel much more comfortable coming to me than just going off and experimenting on their own and perhaps doing it in a dangerous way. Because as parents, if we're openly discussing these things, we can present safety, safety issues and talk about that. So I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and thankfully the narrative is changing, and we can like laugh at all the dare stuff and how we can wear our dare
1: shirts. in,
0: now. in it was just like rooted in so many politics and fear, and it had such an agenda. So, yeah, that's important. And I know so like I have a lot of moms in my friendship circle and just like psychedelic network who are doing their work. And I'm always so impressed when they're able to balance being a parent and doing this deep work, because it's not like you just have a mushroom experience and then go back to life. There's a whole integration stage that needs to take place. Like You don't really know what's going to happen after. So I always think that It's, yeah, it's just so impressive when parents are able to make space for this type of work.
1: I'm also impressed.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Shout out to the mamas listening. And I do, I really do want to do an episode specifically on this topic, because I know there's a lot of listeners out there who are parents. Stay tuned for that. What about magic mushrooms and people's sex life? (laughs) What did you learn about that? I like that. (laughs) This is something I never talk about as a person. I'm like not (laughs) very like open with sex and all of that. So we're bringing it to the table today. What did you learn what, about?
1: Bring it to the table. It's yeah. sexy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this was a topic I was curious about. I was wondering: Is does, does psilocybin does it boost the sex life? We I, I was curious about that. So I did talk to Dr. Michelle Ross, and she talked a little bit about this with me. And psilocybin is not necessarily like your classic aphrodisiac. You might have more of a situation where you feel sexier during the cannabis experience and fungus. More like, yes, <laughs> exactly. Than a fungus. But however, I we talked about this really great potential for a solo journey on psilocybin. So if you're having this solo journey to really explore your body, and so she ta- essentially talked about masturbation, and which is great. And so there could be this potential where you're on psilocybin, you start to explore your own body a little bit more. And then when you come together with your partner, whoever you're having sex with, that may make you feel a little bit more at ease, make you feel a little bit more confident in asking for what you want, being more assertive about that. And so I felt like there's a lot of potential There. And she did talk a little bit about you might be able to blend a few things. So if you're using psilocybin with a partner and wanting to explore sex that way together, totally fine. Obviously make sure that you have a talk about consent and what you want to be doing before you start your substance. But as she mentioned blending that with, or doing a ceremony, ceremonial cacao experience with the psilocybin there shouldn't be too much of an interaction there. It should be pleasant. And of course, cacao might have more of an aphrodisiac effect. So that, that was interesting to talk about, but I think there's a lot of potential for people to just get, gain more confidence in the bedroom and, and, just exploring their own bodies to determine what they really like and feeling uninhibited about that.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of the benefits we experience from using psychedelics like magic mushrooms are indirect. And it's from this effect of connecting more deeply to ourselves and understanding ourselves better. And when we understand ourselves better, we can present a more authentic version of ourselves to the world, including our partners. And that's the kind of thing that changes sexual dynamic, relationships, communication. The potential for psychedelics is just absolutely unlimited. That's why I love them yes. so much. They're yeah. so and I- like, they're like a real life hack. <laughs>
1: They are. And I'm so glad you brought up the idea of connection because I forgot to mention that there. Obviously psilocybin can make us feel more connected to others or the world around us at large, the, the, the nature, the flora, yeah. the fauna, all of that. And so there is that potential for you to feel a deeper connection with your partner by journeying together or even journeying on your own and then coming back together. And I did talk to a woman, I interviewed her for the book, and she did talk about the, the how psilocybin benefited her relationship. That's something to
0: add. Yeah, I'm really calling in partnership right now. But with my ex, we used to do MDMA journeys together and mushroom experiences and go to festivals and stuff. And it was really beautiful for uh, connecting us and bringing us closer together, which obviously plays such a big role in intimacy, but it is all about the intentionality and the container that you're in. So, yeah, there's definitely lots of potential there. And I'm sure it's a topic I will be exploring more now that this is opening up for me, too. So that's great. On that topic, what did you come across around like consent and safety and sexual abuse and power dynamics in the space? Because you did a chapter on that.
1: I did, yeah, and I included that in the sort of an overall sex chapter, because it, consent is obviously a key component of sex, or you have sexual assault. What I did learn, and this is so disturbing, but there's this great podcast out there called A Cover Story Power Trip. It's put out by New York Magazine, and the producer, or one of the producers, Lily K. Ross, she really dives into this deeply. She was assaulted in, with, in, in terms of doing a... a experience with psychedelics and then she's talked to other people. And so there are underground guys, there are therapists, there are people out there who will take advantage of people on psychedelics because psychedelics put you in such a vulnerable state and you're you're even more susceptible to, I don't want to say brainwashing, but being convinced of doing something, right? And so she she talks a lot about that, but then also interviews people who've had these very complicated, horrible experiences having undergone a sexual assault in a psychedelic setting. So that's very disturbing. And so I talked to Natalie Villanova. She's someone I mentioned earlier in the podcast. She talked at length about consent in sessions. So I think what the nutshell there, the gist is that you should try to have a conversation with whatever whoever your practitioner is, whether you're doing some type of psychedelic assisted therapy or working with an underground guide, have conversations ahead of time. And they should be the one initiating this, if they're doing their job correctly, initiating this conversation about consent. What is acceptable in a psychedelic se- session in terms of touch? And so obviously sex should be completely off the table there and any type of sexual touch. But Some underground guides and therapists believe in this idea of uh, if someone's having a difficult time during a session, like hand holding or pat on the shoulder or pat on the back something like that and so if you discuss that ahead of time and you're okay with that sure that's great but if you're not okay you get to say no and that's completely off the table consent is completely up to you now the other thing that she mentioned I thought this was brilliant too so in a session then the therapist or the guide should still get consent for you from you again before touching your hand. They should say, "Is it all right if I hold your hand right now?" and you can say yes or no. And but because you've already pre-consented to that, you can still say no, and but and you can say yes, of course. But the thing that you that shouldn't happen is in a session, if you've said no to hand-holding before the session, then hand-holding is completely off the table during the session end of story you can't change your mind about that or it's not consent Oh, and that sounds crazy but that is very true it's really just because you're in such a vulnerable state and more susceptible to being convinced of doing something that you are not okay with so that was really important and there's a ton of ton more information in that chapter about consent and so how do we protect ourselves how do we find guides that we can trust. So when I say, ask people in your psychedelic communities, try to get hooked up with a really good community, whether that's an integration circle or whatever, and you can share resources with people. I fully trust the guide that I mentioned in my book. He brought a female tripsitter. There was never any touch. Also, this was really great for me. His name is Gabriel Castillo with finally detached, fully trust him. So I'm just sharing that resource out there for you. Yeah
0: amazing and I also share reunion in Costa Rica with people they also do amazing mushroom experiences so yeah make sure that if you are going to a place that you can talk to someone maybe who's been there before because that's so different than reading online testimonials and there's a whole like yeah there's a whole thing with that Jules Evans has talked about so
1: yeah it's best to like
0: talk to someone who has been to an experience I want to start winding this down. And I want to ask you, obviously, you wrote an entire book that I'm sure will be a bestseller if it isn't already. I think it's going to be (laughs) (laughs) an incredible addition to the psychedelic literature that already exists. It's so clear that you've poured so much of your heart and soul and (laughs) knowledge into creating this book for people. I want to know the motivation that was behind writing such a informative book for people. How has psilocybin affected your life and changed your life?
1: Yeah, great question. My for psilocybin journey was one of the most profound experiences of my life, and so I just feel very strongly that it has the potential to help so many people. The thing that I try to focus on during my journey, even though we don't get the trip that we always want to focus on, I, I have been really struggling in my life with having aging parents. So, my mom is 80, she's like my best friend in the whole world, and my dad is just a few years younger. Great people. I love them to death and I know that I'm looking at their mortality in the near future and that's really has given me a lot of anxiety. They've had some health issues over the past several years and we've been managing those but I'm really involved in that and so that can also increase my anxiety about it because I know so much about their health issues and in my psilocybin journey, it was like the mushroom really forced me to look at that and question, why are you so anxious about this? and. Obviously, yeah, death is something that we all get really anxious about, but the mushroom essentially taught me that I have the tools within myself to get through this difficult thing that I'm facing ahead of me. It was like it just showed me, you're gonna be okay. Yes, it's going to not be fun, it's going to suck, but you're going to get through it. You have a support system that you can lean on and you are a strong person, and I just didn't feel like that before. Coming out of this psilocybin session, I really feel that. I feel stronger, I feel less anxious about this thing that has been weighing on my mind and stressing me out and causing me my own personal health issues. And I feel really strongly about that. And so going forward, really my motivation is to spread the word similar to what you're doing and that, that psychedelics, they can seem scary if you've never tried them before or if you're just not someone who's experimented with substances at all but there's if you read the information and you think about safety and all of that and you do your set and setting, which you and I talked about in the book, I think that you can set yourself up for having a really incredible experience. So yeah, that is really my motivation and to just get valuable information out there for women since, again, we're left out of the system quite a bit in terms of the medical society. Totally. And people
0: can read about your story facing your own health conditions, being gaslit by the medical community and finding some answers with psychedelics through
1: Through that work? Yes, absolutely. um, So beautiful. For anyone who doesn't, yeah, I I have endometriosis, and that's something that one in 10 people assigned female birth have, and occasionally men can get endometriosis too, but it's rare. But uh, the thing that is shocking to me is that the National Institutes of Health dedicated less than 0.1% of its research funding to studying endometriosis. So that just gives you this picture of how much, I guess, the medical system really cares about women. And maybe I'm being rude by saying that, but it is what it is. So yes.
0: Yeah. And it's like you said, I'm here to spread the word. You're here to spread the word. And I always say we need everyone on board. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm not a scientifically based person. I almost failed chemistry and biology. Like <laughs> when people talk about science to me, it's not that I don't like care about science or respect it. It's just like in one ear and out the other. Cause my brain just, it's not my language. It just doesn't compute. <laughs> I so with my voice and my language, which is more like the language of the heart and intuition and as a coach, I can reach certain audiences who speak that language. So you have your own language as a scientific journalist, as a fact checker, and we can spread the same message using our own unique voice, our own stories and the language that we speak to create the community of people. I hope that makes sense. Basically, long story short, thank you for doing what you're doing and giving your skills and your tools to the cause, to the psychedelic space. We're so grateful. And I'm sure you've been able to reach a lot of people out there who people like myself haven't been able to reach or people who are already out there speaking about psychedelics haven't been able to reach.
1: Thank you. And thank you for all the work that you're doing. Your podcast is amazing and you're just giving really good information. And I love that you have the language of the heart because we need that in this world.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for including me in your book. This is so exciting. It was, it felt like (laughs) so cool to open a book up and see my name in it. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. (laughs)
1: you're welcome thank you for your expertise wisdom kindness and time I really appreciate it this is
0: awesome okay so let's let's tell people where they can pick up your book and we have a giveaway that we're going to do which I'll talk about in a second
1: Oh, absolutely, so the book is available anywhere books are sold. I always recommend supporting your favorite local indie bookstore, because those are the people out there that really will support you back. Uh, Yeah, and then you can find me on all the social media channels that my handle is at Jen Cheswick. So that's J E N C H E S A K. I'm mostly on Instagram and I do some TikToks.
0: <laughs> so. Amazing. I'll link that all in the show notes. And for the giveaway, if you guys want to enter the giveaway, we're going to give away a copy of the psilocybin handbook for women. Thank you, Jen, for <laughs> organizing this. So to enter, yes. you can follow Modern Psychedelics on Instagram and Jen on Instagram. We'll have those linked below. And then to enter, you can leave a five star rating and review of the podcast. And just send me a screenshot of that either on Instagram or to hello at modernpsychedelics.net to enter. And I will choose a random winner. All you have to do to enter again is follow Modern Psychedelics. And Jen on Instagram. Those will be linked below. Leave a five-star rating and review of the podcast. Send me a screenshot. And yeah, I'll choose a winner. And we will close the contest a week after this episode airs. All right. very exciting. I love it. And I can just say that I read your book in a very short period of time. And I loved it. It's just so well researched. Like, it's so straightforward. It's like something you're going to want to read through once fully. And then like, it truly is a handbook because you've, you've organized it in a way that you can just refer to a topic as you need a refresher. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited for people to read it. So thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. It was great to talk to you. Yeah.
0: All right. Enjoy the book, everyone. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. This episode is produced in collaboration with Film with Integrity. They are a values-forward production studio. And their tagline is quality content crafted with care. And from my experience working with their team, that is certainly true. You can just tell that everything they put out into the world has that human touch from the heart. They truly have that something special that you won't find in most production houses, which is exactly why their work stands out from the crowd. I'm sitting in their video podcast studio as we record this, and that's one of the services they offer. This includes end-to-end production from concept to content. Film with Integrity also does event video, documentary series, commercial and marketing videos, All filmed with integrity, of course. Their home base is here in Toronto, and they work with many American and international clients on productions around the world. If you are working on a project that deserves that quality of production and content without sacrificing heart and soul, visit filmwithintegrity.com to check out their beautiful work and to get in touch with their beautiful team. That's filmwithintegrity.com, and I've linked that for you in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to and supporting the show. To stay in touch, sign up for my mailing list, which can be found in the show notes or on modernpsychedelics.net. If this episode sparked something within, please let me know by leaving a review of the Modern Psychedelics podcast on Apple and Spotify. This really helps to share these messages with those who need them, which is the whole reason why I do what I do. And if you haven't already, come join the ongoing conversation over on Instagram with other beautiful souls. We have an incredible and conscious community over at the handle Modern Psychedelics. And don't forget that the work begins after you come back down to earth. And I'm standing shoulder to shoulder doing it with you.